For this inaugural episode of the Sassy Toxicologist podcast, we're discussing the most notorious poison of all time, cyanide. Yep, this very simple little molecule, composed of a carbon triple bonded to a nitrogen, is one of the most deadly substances known to science. It's also one of the most notorious poisons mentioned in the context of true crime. For example, in 1978, Jim Jones murdered almost a thousand people and one of the largest mass murder slash suicides ever by forcing his cult members to drink Flavorade spiked with cyanide. In the Holocaust, millions of people were murdered in gas chambers using cyanide gas. And Dr. Robert Ferrante killed his wife, Dr. Autumn Klein, in 2013 by giving her cyanide instead of creatine. I highly recommend looking up the Minds of Madness podcast episode on Dr. Autumn Klein. It actually was my inspiration for creating this episode. That one really got me in the feels. It's a super emotional just account of what happened to Autumn Klein. And um, thank goodness he was caught. You know, the husband did it, of course. Um, Anyway, let's talk some science of cyanide. So you probably remember one thing from middle school or high school biology. Say it with me. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. One more time for old time's sake. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Let's use that metaphor to understand how cyanide toxicity works. Say this powerhouse, the mitochondria, has a chain of workers in it. Each worker is holding a bucket. The chain of workers is the electron transport chain. Each worker is carrying a bucket, which they use to pass an electron down the chain. The last worker has a very special bucket called the oxygen bucket. The oxygen bucket is special because once an electron fills the bucket, a reaction occurs to generate a molecule known as adenosine triphosphate, or good old ATP. ATP is what your cells use for energy and to keep living, and that's how you stay living. That means that oxygen is the final electron receptor in the electron transport chain. Well, where does cyanide come in? Well, let's use another metaphor. Your blood is kind of like a lazy river. I guess that's a simile. Though your blood is neither lazy or river-like, but stick with me here. On the lazy river, there are inner tubes, those rubber inflatable donut-shaped things that people float in. It's actually a lot of fun. If you've never been on a lazy river before, I highly recommend it. The inner tubes are your red blood cells. There you go, that's a metaphor. On your red blood cells is an important protein called hemoglobin. Named hemoglobin because it contains iron involved in a heme group. So hemoglobin allows the oxygen buckets to be ferried to every living cell in your body via your blood so that every mitochondria, whether the mitochondria is in your gut or your brain, gets enough oxygen buckets to create enough ATP, aka energy. However, cyanide is sneaky because cyanide can outcompete oxygen in order to bind to hemoglobin. It actually binds better than oxygen to hemoglobin, and it kicks out or displaces the oxygen buckets. 
Cyanide is kind of like a bowling ball, and it can't participate in the electron transport chain, and it can't act as the final electron acceptor. So, if someone is intoxicated with enough cyanide, and estimates for the human oral LD50 for potassium cyanide is around 100 to 150 milligrams for an average size human, which is a really, really small amount. To put it in perspective, it's about a thousand times smaller than the volume of mascara in your tube of mascara. People who are intoxicated with cyanide cells are being starved of energy because their blood no longer carries oxygen and is instead delivering bowling balls and not oxygen buckets. That's why people die very quickly from cyanide intoxication. Think, you know, minutes to hours rather than days. And since the process of generating energy is called cellular respiration, you can think of dying from cyanide as being suffocated from the inside. Great, right? No, I'm sure it's an absolutely awful way to die. Is it a good murder weapon? Well, it's incredibly deadly, as was discovered during the Chicago Tylenol murders in 1982, which killed seven people. Interestingly enough, there was a recently released episode of Killer Psyche on the Chicago Tylenol murders, which I highly recommend you check out. However, as Dr. Robert Ferrante found out in the Minds of Madness podcast episode, cyanide is not a foolproof way to get away with murder. First of all, Dr. Ferrante had access to potassium cyanide because he purchased it for his research lab despite having no scientific reason for buying the chemical. Cyanide is not that easy to get a hold of, um, specifically potassium cyanide, as far as I can tell. It's used in some jewelry cleaning applications or industrial applications, as described on the Killer Psyche podcast, but you know, you kind of have to have a good reason for having potassium cyanide around. So in this case, Dr. Robert Ferrante had the means in the means motive opportunity trifecta. He also, as it turns out, had motive and opportunity, but you'll have to listen to the Minds of Madness episode to figure that out. Second, the medical team who took care of Dr. Autumn Klein at the hospital noticed that her blood was cherry red. And if you've ever looked at your blood before, you'll notice that it's kind of a dark red-ish, especially once it starts, you know, drying. If you've ever accidentally cut yourself or pricked your finger or, heaven forbid, donated blood you'll know that your blood is kind of a dark red. Well, if it comes out and it's cherry red, that's a pretty telling sign of cyanide intoxication due to a condition called methemoglobinemia, which is a physiological outcome of hemoglobin no longer being able to carry oxygen. So the presence of Dr. Autumn Klein's blood being cherry red and the very suspicious way that her husband was acting Um, prompted the pathologist to perform tests on Autumn Klein's blood that demonstrated that her blood was positive for the presence of higher-than-normal levels of cyanide. Cyanide is present at normal levels in almost every living being, but obviously once you get an increase in the amount of cyanide past a certain point, that's the concept of dose, it becomes toxic. I'm going to let you in on a little secret right here that if you memorize this quote and memorize who said it, 
you can call yourself a rookie toxicologist. All right, so the quote is, it's the dose that makes the poison. Again, it's the dose that makes the poison. And the person who said this was Paracelsus. Now, Paracelsus lived a long time ago, back in Italy, I believe, um, almost 400-ish years ago. And he is known as the father of toxicology because he noticed that almost everything can be poison. And his, his main unabridged quote is about, you know, a couple of sentences long, something along the lines of, what is there that is not poison, everything is poison. For example, dihydrogen monoxide. Dihydrogen monoxide is a very fancy way of saying water or H2O. So water, if you consume enough of it, can kill you. You can develop a condition called hyponatremia. Now, you thought you were just getting cyanide in this episode. Turns out you're also getting water, too. So it's the dose that makes the poison. And for cyanide, again, that's a very small dose that makes a poison. Next time, we'll talk about the most toxic substance in terms of potency or the amount that it takes to kill you known to mankind, botulinum neurotoxin. We'll see you then, and please tune in next time for the Sassy Toxicologist podcast. Leave me an email at sassytoxpod, that's S-A-S-S-Y-T-O-X-P-O-D at gmail.com, and subscribe on Spotify to make sure that you don't miss an episode. Talk to you later.